0: Welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchandthepeak.org.
1: So, shall we welcome Vicky, the Explorer going out with Emma?
0: <laughs> Testing, yes.
1: Brilliant. we just let's just pray lord we thank you for what you've put on vicky's heart to share with us today now lord i pray just help her as she brings your word to us pray your holy spirit upon her pray you help us to have hearts open to hear what you've got to say today amen
0: hello so everybody's woken up now not that you could have slept through that uh, and said oh somebody different at the front heavens The title that I was given to speak about is, Obedience is Better Than Sacrifice. Um, And and that's what I've been praying about for the past few weeks, and asking God to really show me what he wanted me to talk about. Um, And the story that I kept coming back to um, was the story of Saul and the Amicalites. So picture the scene. You will have all, I'm assuming, read the story based in one Samuel. We won't get the scripture up right now because I'll give you my version of it. Um, so we've got Samuel, the prophet, and Saul, the king, who's been anointed by God. He's, he's chosen. He feels like he's the right man for the job. And, Saul's, and Samuel says to him, right, God says, go and destroy the Amicalites. Absolutely wipe them out to a man. And, and Saul says, okay. Yes, Lord. And off he goes with the army. And he almost does it. But he brings back the king as a prisoner. And he brings, brings back the best of the animals to sacrifice. So everything else, he's absolutely obliterated. And he comes back thinking, yep, done a good job there. Meanwhile... Samuel is back at home and God pokes him in the night, as, as I'm sure most of us have experienced at one time or other, and says, I'm not happy with Saul. He is not doing what I've told, told him. He's, I'm, I'm grieved that I anointed him to be king. I'm, I'm withdrawing my anointing from him. And, and Samuel is so distressed about that that he cries out to God all night. And then in the morning, he goes out and meets Saul. I don't know whether Saul at this point has any inkling of what's to come. If he does, he tries to brazen it out. He's kind of style it out, Saul, come on. And he marches up to Samuel and says, God bless you. I have done what the Lord commanded. And Samuel, you can just imagine him going, Oh, I've really got to say this to the king. And he doesn't hold back. He says, You've done what you were supposed to do. That's funny. I can hear a sheep. I could have sworn I heard some cows then. If you've wiped them all out, then am I hallucinating? And Saul kind of, I think, starts to get the message at this point and says, well, I brought back the king as a prisoner and I've brought back the best of the animals to sacrifice to God. Give me a point here. But everybody else we've absolutely obliterated. It's all done, job done, exactly what God said. And Samuel says, no, you have not done what God said. You've done your own thing. And God is withdrawing his blessing from you. And he is withdrawing his anointing on you as king. And then Saul starts to get an inkling of what's going on. And he says, I have sinned. I'm I'm sorry. I have sinned. But will you come back with me? Come back with me so it looks okay. Come back with me so the people think that I'm still anointed. And and come and worship God with me. And and at least it will look all right. And then there's another story in the Old Testament, where I'm sure again, I think a lot of us will know it, where um, Moses goes to the at Meribah. Um, The people have been walking around in the desert. They're really thirsty. There's no water whatsoever. God's already provided water previously. Um, And Moses says, right, Lord, what shall I do? And God says, speak to the rock and water will appear. But the people are driving Moses absolutely bonkers. So in a bit of a temper, he hits the rock with his stick rather than just speaking to it. And water gushes out. People have a drink. Everybody's happy. Except that God then says... You didn't do what I asked. You hit the rock. I told you to speak to it. You are not going to go into the land, the promised land, and see it. Now, I've always struggled with passages like this in the Old Testament. um, Because that's kind of... It's not the God that I know. This God who, when you do 90% of what he's asked you, 98% maybe still punishes his people really harshly, and it seems almost petty. I can, I can feel people now kind of going, <gasps> where's she going with this? <laughs> Trust me. So we've got a picture of God who punishes people when they do what what seems on the face of it like something fairly minor so so Moses particularly God says speak to the rock Moses hits the rock well it was nearly there you know he'd got most of the idea the water still came out come on God let's cut him a break he's led the people for 40 years let him at least go into the into the land but no that's not what God does he never goes into the promised land and so I've I don't know that i've been struggling with this kind of overtly but in the back of my mind there's always been this question of why why do you portray yourself like that in the old testament god and, and my parents aren't christian I'm, I'm not from a christian family so when i was growing up i was reading the bible on my own and thinking i have, i just don't understand what, why what are you trying to tell us So, have you ever tweaked what God's asked you to do? Has He asked you to do something? But I'm not going to ask you for a response. (laughs) I know this has happened to me. He's asked you to do something. He said, Go and do whatever. And and you've thought, I've thought, that's a brilliant idea, God. Do you know what would make it even better? My friend Anne um, once uh, was convinced that she needed to go and visit a lady from from our old church uh, called Mary, and she was convinced that she needed to turn up on Mary's doorstep with a pot of jam. And she thought, this is absolutely bonkers, Lord, but, you know, whatever. So off she got, she went, she doesn't drive, so she got on public transport and turned up with her pot of jam in her hand and rang on Mary's doorbell and Mary opened the door and said I had no idea she was coming Um, she'd just made some scones (laughs) and she was sitting in her house thinking Lord I am so lonely I've made these scones I've got no one to share them with you know what I'm just fed up with everything. And there's Anne on her doorstep with a pot of jam. Now, it would have been nice if Anne had gone anyway. But it was the jam that, for mixing metaphors, was the icing on the cake. And it wouldn't quite have had the full effect if Anne had thought, no, Lord, I'm just, the jam is a step too far. I'm going to leave that at home. I'll just go and see Mary. I think there are loads of times, certainly in my life, and I'm assuming that you guys are in some respects as bad as me. Um, some of you. I think there are loads of times that we say to God, "Yeah, that's that's a great idea, but if I just add this little bit, it'd be even better. If I just do it this way, just tweak a tiny little detail, it'll be much better, um, or it'll just add a little." And, and God is saying, "No." That is not how I want you to be. It's got to be an important lesson because he's laid it out for us so many times in the Old Testament. He's laid out the consequences. It matters to God that we, that we follow his instructions, and it matters because we have to accept that he's the boss. If we're in a partnership, he's the senior partner, and we're the junior partner. And we don't bring anything to the table. And every time that we try and do those little tweaks, those little, yeah, great, God, but I can just make it a bit better, we're actually saying to him, oh, you know, God, you're great, but I actually I know better about this. I, I, I know more than you in this situation. Just trust me on this one. And we can see this lesson from, from the Israelites from the Old Testament that... When you do that, when you do your own thing, um, you miss out on the blessing. And so there is a, there's this theme rolling through the Old Testament of the importance of obedience, the absolute crucial importance of obedience to God, and how he's, he's telling people over and over again, I need you to do what I say. I need you to go my way. If you try and go off on your own, it doesn't work. So then you start thinking, what are the other themes in the Old Testament? Because it seems the Old Testament is very repetitive, isn't it? The people do one thing. The prophets rise up and say, that's really stupid. The people repent and come back to God. Then they start doing their own thing again, and it just goes on and on and on. So there are lots of lessons that we can learn from this. One of these key themes is over and over again in the Old Testament that the prophets are calling the people out of a relationship which is based on ritual, out of meaningless ritual, just doing things, and into an actual meaningful relationship with the living God. And that's really hard for the people to wrap their heads around. It's so hard that they actually aren't comfortable with it. And time and time again, they fall away and they slip off into doing something slightly different. And then gradually they slip and slip and slip and slip until they're just doing rituals. Just for it to look okay. And then the prophets rise up again and say, come on, God doesn't want you to live like that. He wants to be the God who leads his people. He wants to be the voice that talks to you from the mountain of fire. This is not how we're meant to live. So this is one of those key themes of the Old Testament, the calling people away from ritual, away from meaningless stuff into relationship with him. It's all talking about um, motivation and appearance so on the one hand we've got what's going on inside and on the other hand we've got what happens on, on the outside now this is something that Saul didn't understand whatsoever didn't get it he was absolutely um, fixed on the outward appearance can we have uh, 1 Samuel verse 30 please 15 30 um and this is the bit where Saul says, "Yes, I've sinned, but come back, come back with me and make everything look okay at least, so the people think it's all all right." So Samuel, Saul, sorry, was only interested on the in the outward appearance. He knew that things weren't right with him and God, but what he wanted was for it to look okay on the on the outside. That is completely not where God looks, is it? He looks at what's going on in here. He doesn't mind so much about what's going on on the the outside. Um, Think about, this is my one token New Testament scripture, by the way, so appreciate it. Um, Think about the story in in Luke of of the, the widow's offering. So there are all these hugely rich and flamboyant uh, people going to the temple and making their offerings and I don't know diamonds and gold and who knows what and then there's one little widow who goes in and drop, who's barely got two p to, to rub together and she drops that two p into the offering and Jesus said she's given more than anybody else because he can see what's on the inside and that is his priority. Now I got to this point in the preparation for this fairly easily in fact, I'd been praying about it, and I sat down and wrote some notes, and it all sort of flowed quite nicely. And I looked at it and thought, oh, yes, you know, that's brilliant. That's explained some things to me that I've struggled with in the Old Testament. Thank you, God. Um, and then I got really stuck with the so what. You know, how does it apply to us today? Um, it's all very nice seeing that picture in the Old Testament and going, yes, obedience definitely better than sacrifice. But, you know, I don't generally sacrifice many pigs, goats, sheep, etc. Um, so where are we going with this, Lord? And then I started to think about a verse from Proverbs. So if we can put up the Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, this verse always takes me back to my school days because this was the beginning of our school song. We had the most awesome school song in, in oldie-worldie English um, with, with sort of roaring piano um, chords. Every first year had to be taught the school song by Mrs. Gogan, the terrifying music teacher. Uh, and, and I remember her vividly handing out sheets of, of words. They were all based in Psalms and Proverbs... Um, it's, this verse, uh, it's still ingrained, ingrained in me. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and good understanding have all they that do thereafter. The praise of it endureth forever. Now, aged 11, with a non-Christian music teacher, we got handed out these words, and we all looked at them, and she went, I know. They don't mean anything, just learn them. <laughs> and we all had to learn them. They were examined. <laughs> They were in the music exam at the end of the year. And then we all had to rehearse the school song so that every speech day we could sing it. I did actually leave that school about a year later and ended up in Chesterfield. So got some of the corners rubbed off. Anyway, back to The Fear of the Lord is the Beginning of Wisdom it has taken a long time for me to work out you you guys are much cleverer so you will have figured it out straight away but it's taken a long time for me to work out that this is not just a mad phrase that was in the school song um, but that it actually makes sense and I think what what I'm trying to get to with this is it is brilliant knowing that God loves us his love is amazing and it's Awesome, And we've had a fantastic time this morning. But if you, we, only focus on how much God loves us and we forget the fear of the Lord and we don't understand and wrap our heads around that a little bit... We don't understand how big our God is. We don't understand how powerful he is, how, how awesome he is. And we don't, therefore, fully understand how much this enormous, awesome, powerful God has sacrificed for us. And, therefore, how much he does love us. That's why the fear of the Lord, the, an understanding of his awesomeness, an understanding of how astoundingly powerful he is, is the beginning of wisdom we start to understand him better when we appreciate how amazing he is and how awe-inspiring he is. And it's, it's this balance of, of understanding his astounding separateness from us and also then understanding that he has stepped across the chasm and come to us. And actually... Therefore, this is a relationship where we bring nothing. We bring absolutely nothing. He has brought everything. And we can contribute nothing. And and as humans, we're fairly uncomfortable with that. I think the the stories in the Old Testament bear that out. Um, We sort of subconsciously always want to even up that, that imbalance. So... And we do that in different ways. In the Old Testament, if we can have uh, Deuteronomy up, we see that the, old, the um, Israelites, even though they'd experienced God on the mountain, it, talking to them out of a mountain of fire, they'd heard his voice, you would think that that was pretty much, you know, pretty convincing. They still slipped away time and time again. Um, And this verse is referring to one of the times where they really slipped away in quite good style. Now, looking into the reading about this and preparing for this, I I looked up um, what Baal Peor actually stood for. Um, Forgive me for being a little crude. So Baal Peor, according to the Talmud, Paul's got his head in his hands at the moment because he's not sure that I'm actually going to say this. So Baal Peor um, meant the god of the opening. And according to the Talmud, to Jewish... Um, writings, what they actually did when they went into Baal Pior's temple was that they pooed in front of the altar. Yeah? Stunned silence. (laughs) Absolutely stunned. So can you imagine? They have exchanged the real God that they've heard speaking out loud from a mountain of fire, and they're choosing to step away from that and go to the church of poop. It is completely insane. This was also the point where, um, where I read this and I went through and, sp- and spoke to Paul and said, my first time preaching at church in the peak and I don't get something nice on love or, you know, something... I get, don't poo in the temple.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: the point I'm trying to make is that we are so uncomfortable with that power imbalance, we're so uncomfortable with the fact that God is everything and we are nothing, that we will do pretty much anything, even go to the Church of Poo, um, to to feel like we've got something to give. And, and, that, and we still see that today. Now, clearly, no one is dropping their trousers in here, and please don't. Um, but... What we're doing today, what, what the, I think there are, some, there are certain traps that we can fall into. Um, one of those is feeling that you need to make up things to God. When, when you've sinned, when you've done something wrong, have you ever had the feeling, please nod or on, think it's just me, have you ever had the feeling that you need to do something to show God that you're, that you're sorry, um, like maybe fast, Or maybe give a seriously generous donation to something. Or give away something that you really like. Um, Just something to say to God, I'm really sorry, can you forgive me? Now if God has said to you, sin has consequences and the consequence of your sin is that you need to do X. And you're obeying him, that is brilliant. If we're doing it because we want to make ourselves feel better... We're almost trying to pay for our sin, aren't we? And we don't need to do that because Jesus has already paid absolutely, completely and utterly, done, finished, nothing left for us to do. But sometimes we feel like we want to do something. And that's wrong. That makes us start to think that we can bring something to the table. It makes us start to feel, subconsciously, maybe not consciously, that the relationship is more like a series of transactions, I sin and I pay for it. And I sin and I pay for it. And that's not right. That is not grace. That's not gospel. So so that's one of the traps that we can fall into paying, trying to earn our forgiveness. And the second trap um, is something that Dave touched on last week. um, And that's, um, he was talking about the, Two types of repentance, the the sort of fake repentance when you've been found out, um, and the true repentance. And and we can, I think we've probably either experienced it ourselves or or seen others fall into um, a cycle of sinning, you know, doing things that are really not good and not what God wants, um, and then kind of going, "Yep, hold my hand up, sorry God, but with no intention of changing. And, you, and, and next week, you're going to do the same thing again. And, and tomorrow, you're going to do the same thing again. And it's okay, because you can just say sorry, and, and you'll be forgiven. And, and you just go round and round that cycle. And there's never any genuine attempt at changing and breaking out of it and, and genuine repentance, because you're just kind of really abusing the forgiveness that we've got in God. So those two traps are fairly obvious to see. They're difficult to get out of sometimes, but you probably know if you're caught in it. I've I've certainly experienced both of them in my life, and, and you know that something's wrong. It's just that it's really hard to actually tackle it. The third one is a little bit more difficult. It's a bit more insidious. And the third trap is the same one that the Israelites fell into again and again, is being misled by ritual rather than relationship. And that is, let me explain, that's where we get into the outward appearances. Have you ever come to church, not because you wanted to come to church, but because it's easier to come rather than have people talk about it and notice, or because that's what you ought to do on a Sunday? No, just me. (laughs) We're we're built for relationship. We're not built for ritual, but we're not comfortable with that power imbalance. We're not comfortable with the fact that we've got nothing to offer and nothing to bring. And so we slide just a little bit at a time into... I need to have my quiet time first thing in the morning because that's what God expects. And I need to tithe and I need to come to church. Well, all those things are great. They're brilliant. They're what God wants us to do. But he wants us to do them because we want to do them on the inside to please him. If we're doing them because we think that's what we ought to, we're sliding into that ritual. And we're sliding away from where we're meant to be, which is the walking with our God. Um, and and the, the verse from Micah uh, six eight says, puts this really nicely that we are meant to walk humbly with God. Um, i 've almost finished, and it 's eleven hundred and fifty eight so this is not going too badly <laughs> So he has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly? To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, not for him, not behind him, with him. And when you walk along, you're talking, you're having a relationship. And the humbly bit is important as well, because clearly he's the boss. I just want to finish with one last verse from Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 2:13. My people have forsaken me. They've forsaken the spring of living water and have dug their own systems. And it's the last phrase that really just gets me every time. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. If that speaks to you today, if you feel like you have slogged your guts out building something that is not fit for purpose and never can be, then you're in the right place. Because we have all made our own broken systems, and we've all, at some point, either have or will come to the realisation that they are useless. And what we need is the spring of living water. And there's no substitute. There is nothing that you can do or that you can have or that you can make or that you can build that will ever substitute for the spring of living water the love of God inside you and so if you feel like you are struggling with a broken system that cannot hold water that that describes your something in your life then I just urge you to to respond to God today we've experienced him this morning he's here uh, and he's ready and willing Um, and I think that is about all I'm going to say
1: Do you want to come back, sir? I just, well, I hope he's challenged, you know, where are you in your relationship with God? Where are we? Are we being obedient to him out of our relationship, or are we doing it out of duty? We're going to just come back, finish with a song. It's an opportunity to just respond to God, allow him just to take what out of what to, um, Vicky has brought to us and allow God just to apply it to our lives. Shall we stand together? I'm just going to pray for us. Thank you, God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word was sent to do us good and to bring us into life and to bring life to our souls. Lord, and I just pray now that you will take from all that Vicky said, Lord, you know where each individual is, Lord, and I just pray you'll play it to each of our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us, Lord. I'm sure you have already, uh, as as Vicky's spoke on these things, Lord, that we just even recognize we can identify ourselves in some of those stories. And God, I pray you'll just come to us. Help us to respond to you right now. Holy Spirit, just come, touch each of our hearts. Lord, we want to be those who love you passionately enough to follow you, whatever you say. Lord, and not to add our bits on, not to do our thing, do it our way. or just think we're pleasing you because we do ritual. God, I pray, will you come to us right now? Lord, just meet with us. God, we pray. We're just going to sing. Just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you as we sing.